Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, if you didn't catch from the, that's not, nope. Um, hey, there we go. I know it's what you wish, but it is, hey, reality is reality, right guys? Um, as you may or may not know now, uh, that was my wife who did that, by the way. Um, my name is Ryan Matherly. Great start, right? Uh, so I am the youth and college pastor here. Uh, our pastor has been getting, again, some, some much-deserved and, and much-needed rest with his family this week. He'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, and I just can't help but think that maybe there's someone in here, maybe this is your first time back in church since, since COVID, and you got out this morning, and you're so excited to be back in the house of the Lord, and you see, oh, come, the youth guy, you know? So, um, and, I, and I apologize for that, um, but take heart, because I, I promise you, I, I don't think um, you'll be hearing very much from me this morning, because I think now more than ever, we need to hear what God has to say. Several years ago, I went to Blue Ridge with some friends one weekend to the lake, and one of my buddies was on a jet ski, and he was pulling another friend behind him uh, who was water skiing. And the jet ski slowed down, and my friend behind let go of the rope, but the rope he had been holding onto kind of shot forward and kept going, and it got wrapped up and, and sucked up into the propeller of the jet ski. And so we managed to finally get it to shore, and we flipped it over and, and opened it up, and the propeller had turned over so many times with the rope in it that I was looking at a knot that you just wouldn't believe. And, and I thought to myself, where in the world do you even start to get this thing unraveled? A month ago, when Mac asked me to preach on the last weekend of July, I looked at our country and I looked at the church in America and I thought the exact same thing. Where in the world... Do you even begin to get this thing unraveled? And then as I was looking at this knot in our country, in, in the church in America too, I, that I don't think people can untie on their own, this is important, I remember that God has the ability to untie things that we can't. He can mend fences that are too heavy for me. He can erase bitterness that I can't let go of. He can bring glory out of situations that look hopeless to me. God has hands that can do a deeper work than ours or anyone else's ever could. And I don't think that any of us or, or any person that we put our hope in will be able to untie this knot, but our Lord Jesus can. That's the point of Christianity, and it's especially the point of our text this morning. So where do we begin to untie this knot? Well, let's begin at the end. Turn to Revelation, would you please? Revelation chapter 3. You can just flip your Bible over and open it that way, and you'll be right there. Revelation chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let me just share a, a couple quick things. One of my favorite pastors is a guy named Tom Schreiner. And he says about the book of Revelation, he says this, People think there are monsters in the book of Revelation, but they should really look at the monstrous things that people have done to the book of Revelation. People think there are monsters in the book of Revelation, but they should really look at the monstrous things that people have done to the book of Revelation. I hope this doesn't ruin your day, but Revelation is not about drawing up charts and, and, and figuring out dates. It's really not. The book was written primarily to give Christians peace and endurance in difficult times. I don't know if you can relate. So I think this is just what the doctor ordered this morning. This is Jesus' 
parting word to the church, a reminder that He is sovereign and that He loves us even in the deepest pain. It is a rock-solid reminder that He holds us and that He is the best place we can go for help. So, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1-6, through 6, I'll read, we'll talk a little bit, and then we'll be done. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1-6, through 6, this is Christ speaking. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this is the church at Sardis. Quick history lesson, and then we'll get into it, okay? Um, I almost said we'll get into the good stuff, but the history is part of the good stuff. It really is. Sardis was at one time the wealthy capital of an, of an ancient kingdom called Lydia. It's at the west, where is it today? It's at the western end of modern-day Turkey near Greece, okay? And here's the thing, and I wrote it in bold so you know it's important. The city's strength was its greatest weakness. The city's strength was its greatest weakness. What do I mean by that? The fortress of the city was located on top of cliffs that city officials thought would be unscalable. Enemies wouldn't be able to take the city simply because they couldn't get an army up there. The city's high position led to a false sense of security, which resulted in the city being taken over twice You think he'd learn the first, taken over twice by opposing armies who did, in fact, scale the cliffs. Since they were not expecting an attack from the cliffs, that area of the city was largely left unguarded, and opponents snuck up the cliff like thieves. And look at what Jesus says again in verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, what? I will come like a thief. You will not know what hour I come to you. Like a thief. Now, Jesus is talking to the church at Sardis, but he's using the example of what happened to the city. They know what he's talking about. Jesus is saying that the church of Sardis is falling into the same trap as the city of Sardis. The walls being difficult to climb made its citizens lazy in terms of defending it. They thought there was no need to be on the alert. So they stopped thinking and they stopped caring. The city was asleep long before it was ever conquered. Does that make sense? The city was asleep long before it was ever 
conquered. And in the same way, the church at Sardis had stopped caring about the things of God, and now it too was about to collapse. The city became lazy physically. The church was becoming lazy spiritually. The city was lazy physically. The church was becoming lazy spiritually. But, listen, this is important. This is where we got to have wisdom. Being lazy spiritually is not as obvious as being lazy physically. Okay? Being lazy spiritually is not as obvious as being lazy physically. Look again at verse 1. Verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. We'll come back to that. But focus here. I know your deeds. That you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. I know your deeds. That you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, again, Revelation is not about America. Okay, Revelation is about the entire church, the American church included. Revelation is about the entire church worldwide. But if there's any verse in the Bible more applicable to the church in America, I don't know it. You have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. This is so important for us to see today so we don't fall into the same trap that Sardis did of laziness and apathy, we need to realize, especially in our day, especially in this this season of life that we're in right now, in our country, we need to realize what Jesus is saying to the church at Sardis here. Listen, it is possible to be active and dead at the same time. It is possible to be active and dead at the same time. The second half of verse 1 again. I know your deeds. Active. That you have a name for being alive, but you are dead. So I know your works. That's active. They're doing things, but spiritually, they're dead. Active and dead. How in the world? Let's do some deep theology. Have you ever seen like a zombie movie, right? So a zombie movie. Zombies walk around. That's like all they do, right? For like two hours. Cardio is very important when you apparently when you become a zombie. The whole movie, they go and they go and go and never stop, but inside they are lifeless. They walk all over the place. They go all over the place, but they don't really care about the places they're going to. Active but dead. Do you go to church the same way that a zombie would? Are you here this morning because you feel like you have to be? You know you're supposed to be. And that's it. Do you open your Bible like a zombie? You you open it. You look at it. Maybe you look at it a little more if you're feeling real spiritual, right, that morning. And then you close it. And like James 1 says, nothing changes. You held it in your hands, the eyes scanned the pages, but there's nothing going on in here for the scriptures to take hold of. And you do this week in and week out. Yeah, I went to church today. Yeah, I read some Bible this morning. And over time, just like the people of Sardis, this lazy fog 
starts to creep into your Christian life, and now you don't even notice that you're doing it. The church in America is filled with people sitting in pews, watching online, teaching classes, tithing, serving in leadership roles. And they don't really know why. And just as bad, they don't feel why. You know what I mean? Dead people, active, but lifeless. Doing things, but with no regard for or awareness of Jesus. And that lifeless walk is showing itself in church members all over our city and our country who are active but dead. Knowing about Jesus, but not, not actively seeking to follow Him. There are so many more examples of how this hurts the church. And just one that I'll, I'll share. Um, you can email me at clyde.hampton at pvn. And listen, I say this with all humility. I say this as a 30-year-old who still has so much to learn. It is very possible, and you see it everywhere. It is very possible in our day and age to be active politically and dead spiritually. There's nothing wrong with being politically active. In fact, I think Jesus encourages it in Luke chapter 20. And I wish more college kids would read that in Luke chapter 20. But Jesus also says in that same chapter that there is something wrong with being active all about Caesar and being dead to God. Do your friends know how angry you are about what's going on more than they know about who died for your sins? Do your friends know how angry you are about what's going on more than they know about who died for your sins? It's possible to be active on your Facebook page and dead spiritually. We have got to do, I have got, this was huge for me this week. We have got to do what James 1 says and put the scripture to ourselves like a mirror. Are you doing the hard work of digging into your Bible, of taking your viewpoint and putting it on the altar before Jesus and saying, make my heart like yours. No one else's. Are you taking your anger, your frustration, your anxiety, your viewpoint, and laying it follow and, and laying it in Jesus' nail-scarred hands and saying, Enough of me. What do you want me to do here? Being active is not the same thing as being alive. Nathan Cole became a Christian in 1744. He was practically illiterate, but he wrote this when he became a Christian. He says, the pastor's sermon wounded me. 
And by God's grace, the foundation of my hard heart was broken up. And I knew that my works, my life could not save me. And I ran to my Lord. We can be as active, we can be as vocal as we want. But before you put your hope in anything else this morning, you must understand that only Jesus Christ's love can make a man do that. Verse 3. Verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I come to you. Remember what you heard. Now help me out. If you can't remember something, it means that you've what? You've, you've forgotten. In our day and age. In all our anger. And finger pointing. In all the grumbling of our world from Christians, Jesus is saying, you have forgotten. You've forgotten the grace in the gospel. The sacrifice of Jesus. His sermon wounded me. When was the last time? Jesus says in verse 3, to remember and repent. Now, this is interesting because... Who is Jesus writing to? Look at verse 1 real quick. To the angel of the church in Sardis. These aren't Satanists or atheists. These are church members. The church has forgotten to repent. We treat church, me too, we treat church the same way Sardis treated those cliffs. I don't have to do anything because I'm up here. I've got my system. My way of life holds everything together. Repent of that mentality. Nothing wrong with having a system. There's nothing wrong with being a good steward. Nothing wrong. We're, we are commanded to do that. But when the Bible... When the Bible just becomes part of your system and not the system, when you twist the Bible to get it to fit your worldview, repent of that. Jesus is not a system. Let me put it this way the Pharisees believed in one system. The Sadducees believed in another. Huh, almost. Anyway, the, the people were somewhere in between. I don't know if you can relate. And by the end of it, none of them wanted Jesus alive. Because he didn't fit into their worldview. He is the worldview. Remember, you don't have to turn there, but... Remember, you may even want to write it down. Remember what Joshua says to God in Joshua 5.13. In Joshua 5.13, Joshua says to God, are you for us or for our enemies? Which side are you on, God? Are you in my system or are you in their system? And God says, 
Your life will never work if that's how you see me, Joshua. The next verse in 514, Joshua falls on his face. He got it. There's what I think we should do, and there's what they think we should do. Jesus, pick a side. Christians don't talk like that. Christians do what Joshua did. I'm on my face. You tell me what I should do. I have my ideas, but I need to check them with you first. Please, Jesus, let me into your system. And he will. Jesus says also, he says, to wake up. In other words, be alert to yourself. Look at Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus Christ that mama and grandmama look at. Because they'll both tell you, mine would tell me, you have to look at him for yourself. Look at him in his word and then ask yourself, am I being humble the way he was? Or am I hiding behind my system? Do I care about the things that he cares about? All of them. Let me ask it to you like this. Is your Jesus the Jesus of the Bible? Or is he a cardboard cutout Jesus that you made for yourself? Who never makes you uncomfortable? Who never asks you to look at yourself and repent of what you've done? How can the church of Sardis, the church in America, come back to life? I don't know where this was. I've just heard the story, and you may have heard it. A seminary professor took his students out one day. Final exam. You pass this exam, you graduate. No pressure, right? And for his exam, he loaded them up in a van, which was kind of different, and he took them to a cemetery. Ooh, right? And he assigned each of them a grave. Each student is assigned a grave. And the teacher said this, your exam, bring these people back to life. Oh, all right. You know, everyone's kind of looking around, kind of snickering a little bit. It's funny. But the college kids and the high schoolers in here know after a few minutes pass on your final exam and you don't have an answer, it's not so funny anymore. Panic starts to set in. This is their final exam. And they, I mean, what, what do you want me to do? And finally, one of the students who's about to have a panic attack looks at the teacher and says, Professor, no matter what I do, I can't bring someone back to life. And the teacher says, the longer you remember that, the better off you'll be. Because you'll look to Jesus instead of yourself. Too many people right now think their system, their way of doing things, is the key to bringing our country back to life. That's why they're so angry about it, by the way, because that's where all their hope is tied up. Explain it to a grave all you want. Your system, your way of doing things, your view of the world means nothing to a dead soul until you bring that system to Jesus first and say, tear it up. Tell me what you want me to do.
Make me look more like you, Jesus. Look at verse 1 one more time. To the angel, I told you we'd come back. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God. This is Jesus' introduction, okay? This is Jesus' introduction to the church at Sardis. Now, to each of the seven churches in Revelation, Jesus introduces himself in a different way. A, a couple of examples. The words of the Holy One who has the key of David. That's one church. The words of the Amen, the true and faithful witness. Another church. The words of the first and the last. That's, a, that's another church. On and on, each introduction is different because it applies directly to that church's situation. Each church needs Jesus in a specific way, and he introduces himself in that way. Every different introduction is a clue to how each church needs Jesus in a different way. And he introduces himself here as the one who has the seven spirits. What's that? Some of you probably know. Seven is a number in the Bible, meaning whole or perfect, complete. Seven days of creation is an example. Another one is in the book of Ruth. If you remember, they, they, they tell Naomi, Ruth is a daughter better than seven sons. They're saying to Naomi, Ruth is a daughter is better than the perfect son. So Jesus' reference to the spirit is the whole eh, or perfect spirit. Now, who is the perfect spirit that we know close to Jesus and near God's throne? It's the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The, the Holy Spirit kind of bookends this church, you see? Why would Jesus introduce himself to a dead church as the one who brings the Holy Spirit? Because he knows that only he can bring them back to life. Only the Holy Spirit. Only seeing Jesus as beautiful and wonderful. Only seeing him clearly. That's what can bring the dead church back to life. Quick example and then, and then we'll close. I'm going to gain some of you here and I'm, I might lose some of you. We'll see. Uh, I was watching a Chicago Bulls documentary a few days ago, right? A few weeks ago. Um, basketball team, NBA, all right? And they used to have this guy on there named Michael Jordan, okay? It's 98, it's game six against the Utah Jazz. It's like 15 seconds left on the clock. This is for the NBA championship. Jordan's bringing the ball to the court. He makes the game-winning shot, okay? So in the documentary, they're showing, you know, Jordan bringing the ball to the court. But they, they flash over and they interview Scottie Pippen, who played with Jordan, same team. And they interview Scottie and they say, while Michael Jordan is bringing the ball up the floor to take the last shot, what's going through your mind? And Scotty says, get out of the way. That's what I was thinking, was get out of the way. The best way I can help is to get out of the way. What does John the Baptist say about Jesus? He must increase, and I must decrease. We must submit to Jesus so that Jesus is all the world sees. It's okay to be angry. God gets angry, and there are things that we should be angry about. But Christians ranting and railing, that's not getting out of the way. Being stubborn and confrontational, Christians. 
Nobody sees Jesus in us when we're like that. That's being in the way. Here, Jesus, I got the ball. I'll, I'll close it out. Really? We can't show the world that Jesus is the way until we get out of the way. Until we are humble and serve our Lord and look like him. This, this text ends with, let he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. When Jesus says that, almost every time, not everyone listens. And I picture some people digging their heels in. I implore you, pick your feet up and run to Jesus. Turn to Christ. Repent. Bring him your anxiety, your frustration, your worldview, your system. We must wake up and make Jesus look beautiful. We must wake up and get out of the way. We can truly help the world only when we follow Jesus. Let's pray together.